Hello, and welcome to Serene Reflections, a podcast of Dharma Talks from the Wallawa Buddhist Temple. I am Rev. Clarissa Beattie, a Zen monk and Buddhist priest from the mountains of Northeast Oregon, where we practice contemplative meditation, the Chan of Bodhidharma, the Zen of Dogen, the Serene Reflection Meditation of Rev. Master G.U. Kennett. You are invited to let yourself grow naturally still, to let go of the world for a while. Join us in listening in sound, in listening in stillness, turning within to listen from the heart that seeks the way. At the temple, the face of the season is in flux. At dawn, the sun shines bright on a field covered in tender new blades of fresh green grass. By noon, the field is a blinding sea of snowflakes under a falling gray sky. Then... By late afternoon, the white flakes have melted away in great patches, new blades of grass peeping up incongruously through the lacy remains of icy snow, drawing great interest from the passing deer. There is a mind which says, Well, which is it, winter or spring? and immediately a set of opposites have arisen. Well, which is it, says the mind of the opposites, hands on its hips, lips pursed, demanding an answer. Which is it? But the season does not have to make up its mind. It doesn't concern itself with such things. The season doesn't define itself. It simply is. I am the one doing the defining, trying to nail something down which cannot be pigeonholed. In either-or mind, I am not really concerned about the season. I am mostly concerned about myself, about who I am in relation to what is around me. I prefer things to be nailed down, because then they are more predictable. I know where I stand. And I am, then, presumably, safe.
but things are not always comprehensible. My world is not always as I like it, and things are not always safe. How to be with this? This, which is undefined or confusing or unclear, indistinct, within the world around me, and also within myself. As I age, I find increasingly that when something is new territory, it is often the case that I find it disturbing, uncomfortable, awkward, or even threatening. I get disoriented when my usual reference points are missing, or someone seems to have moved them. I try frantically to reorient, using what I think I know, when really what will help most is to let myself be undone. Let myself be at sea for a while, until new buoys appear in new positions. And then, no more to take these guides as fixed. When I was younger, the unknown was more of an adventure. How can I remember what that was like? How, when cast off to sea in the unfamiliar, moorings loosed, can I trust in something deeper? even as I drift, and know that it will call me safely home when I am ready, and I will find my way. Among other things, Practicing meditation, formally and in daily life, habituates me to dwelling in the realm of the undefined, the nebulous. This is one plus of becoming accustomed to asking questions to which I do not know or even seek an answer. When I am willing to open to the questions which arise within, without expectation of having any resolutions to the questions, any filling in of the answer. This willingness is the walking into the unknown. Really, this only becomes possible when we can trust that in walking into the unknown, or merely leaning into the unknown as it engulfs us, something will hold us up. Trust 
that if everything I think of as me crumbles away, something will endure. Reverend Master G.U. Kennett wrote the following in her introduction to The Wild White Goose. To be satisfied with the answer to a question when it is something is acceptance. To be satisfied with the answer when it is nothing is acceptance. To be satisfied with an answer that has got rid of the concepts of something and nothing is to accept the immaculacy of Zen, to know one's original face. But such an answer cannot be put into words. Acceptance is not passivity. Just as we are not doing nothing when we sit in meditation, we sit silently, not passively. Within the silence, within the stillness, much is going on. Even when the thinking mind is not aware of it, the mind doesn't need to know. It thinks it does. It even longs to know, but actually it doesn't need to know. It needs to trust. To know one's original face means, in practice, simply to trust in my own Buddha nature, trust that I have Buddha nature that I am not separate from Buddha nature. It's a reference to the koan story where the question is asked, what was your original face before you were born? Even when we have been given the answer before the question is explained, we still have to discover for ourselves what is meant by the asking what is meant by the response or no response. This is not meant to be cryptic. It is meant to be discovered. If you are sitting in meditation, there are guidelines and instructions which are meant to help. But there is no right way to meditate. If you are doing your practice in daily life, yes, there are precepts and teachings, and they are intended as reference points as you find your own way. 
The teachings do but point the way. The Buddhas do but point the way. And we must go it for ourselves. As we go on, the way unfolds before us. It is not set. There is no right way to proceed. There is what is good for me to do beyond the mind that gets it right or gets it wrong. What arises as good to do may start out one way and morph into another way and then evolve into yet another and so on. Still, as we continue to take refuge in something deeper, this allows a kind of flowing touchstone to grow within, to which we may turn, in turn, for refuge, always remembering that even this barometer is constantly forming, which is why Sangha is a refuge. As you do the work within, as you go on, you may discover that there are others also underway, that the way is less solitary. The Shishogi was compiled in Japan in 1890 for the purpose of encapsulating the core of the Soto Zen teaching at a time when Buddhist churches were being made to justify their function in society. In order to explain its very meaning for existence, the Soto Zen church turned to Dogen. The Shishogi is a careful condensation of the Shobogenzo, which is the record of Great Master Dogen's 22 years of Dharma talks, first offered aloud eight centuries ago, and still every bit as relevant today. From the Shishogi, Awakening to the Mind of the Bodhisattva The Four Wisdoms, Charity, Tenderness, Benevolence, and Sympathy are the means we have of helping others and represent the Bodhisattva's aspirations. Charity is the opposite of covetousness. We make offerings although we ourselves get nothing whatsoever. There is no need to be concerned about how small the gift may be so long as it brings true results for even if it is only a single phrase or verse of teaching, it may be a seed to bring forth good fruit both now and hereafter. Similarly, the offering of only one coin or a blade of grass can cause the arising of good, for the teaching itself is the true treasure, and the true treasure is the very teaching. We must never desire any reward, 
and we must always share everything we have with others. It is an act of charity to build a ferry or a bridge, and all forms of industry are charity if they benefit others. Another word for charity is generosity. In some forms of Buddhism, the first practice of a person of any age who is new to the religion is to work on being generous of heart. In a sense, what is actually being offered is of much less importance than the openness of heart which is cultivated through the practice of generosity. The practice of generosity in Buddhism is done without expectation on the part of either the giver or the receiver. The passage on charity in the Shushogi is pointing beyond giving and receiving to the heart of sharing. It does not mean that we must have no possessions or that we are expected to tithe, or that we must do good works. What this passage is doing is sketching for us the shape of the generous heart, like a blueprint. If we want to live for ourselves from the heart of charity, the heart of generosity, we must build it for ourselves. Or rather, perhaps discover it where it lies buried, for it is already within. It is an act of charity to build a ferry or a bridge and all forms of industry are charity if they benefit others. Building a ferry or a bridge may be something we do literally, and it may also be something we do figuratively, and figuratively may be no less real. Here is an example in order to connect two sides of a river, it is necessary to build from both sides. In the beginning of the process of building a bridge, between two people with very different viewpoints, say, in order to get to the other side, both may need to take the long way around in order to see things from the opposite bank from an unfamiliar perspective. Or maybe there will be some hard work ahead, rowing all the way across before the bridge can begin to be put in place. In the long run, though, it will be worth the trouble, because having a good solid bridge in place means everyone can benefit because then everyone from both banks can get to where they need to go with one less obstacle.
no matter who we are, each of us has a generous heart, has something which we can offer for the greater good or the benefit of others. For the benefit of others is also for my benefit. We are not separate. My offering need not be a calling, although it may be. What I have to offer may be a skill or a resource, or it may be my very presence. It may even be my absence from a situation when it is wise and compassionate to step out of the way, out of charity. And all forms of industry are charity if they benefit others. Simply doing my job mindfully and well, benefits others. Simply doing my practice day after day benefits others. Raising a family, caring for a home, planting a garden, feeding the cat, driving a car, These are activities within which I may be of help to others. And as I go about simply doing my practice, that the opposites arise is not a problem. Within this human existence, the arising of dualistic thinking is unavoidable. The question for me is, how do I respond when the opposites arise within me, within the world around me? When the mind of this or that says, well, which is it? What do I do now from my generous heart? with this mind of the opposites. To judge the arising of a normal human way of thinking only prolongs my doing. And again, just because judgment has arisen in response to the arising of judgment doesn't mean there is a problem. It just means that as soon as I become aware of what my mind is doing, I can now release my grip on it. The gradual and repeated gentle loosening of my grip is like the effect of water flowing on stone. You may not see any change in the rocks today, but over time... The process is inexorable. Dogen points out in Rules for Meditation, 
It is no more possible to understand natural activity with the judgmental mind than it is possible to understand the signs of enlightenment. Such understanding is outside the realm of speech and vision. Such truth is beyond personal opinions. Do not discuss the wise and the ignorant. There is only one thing. To train hard, for this is true enlightenment. To live in this way is the same as to live an ordinary daily life. To train hard doesn't mean to grit my teeth or stop my thoughts or tackle my karma. To train hard means different things at different times to different people in a life of practice. Sometimes it means becoming more aware of my practice as a central focus of my life. Sometimes it means relaxing. Sometimes it means paying more attention. Sometimes my interest wanes and falls away. Then sometimes I find myself drawn deeper. At times, training hard means just not giving up on myself. And at other times, it means not giving up on others. Coming and going need not be opposites. Charity and covetousness need not be opposites. Through all the changing seasons, in every blade of grass, what is the one thing that does not change? What is it that we all share? What beckons me deeper? What is the teaching here, now, for me? What is ordinary for you? Whatever that is, it is not separate from enlightenment. What is it for you to truly live? What is the question here? Now, for you.
Thank you for joining us in listening to Serene Reflections from the Heart that Seeks the Way. To learn more about this practice, including more about how to meditate, you are invited to visit our website at walawabuddhisttemple.org. Here, in the Kanzayan Shrine of our Meditation Hall, we offer the merit of our practice of serene reflection meditation to all beings, including you, wherever you may be.